Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, my name is Rosette. I'm a compulsive overeater. One of the things that I did um, when I um, did my fourth step and worked as, as I worked the steps was I looked for patterns um, so that I could trace those patterns and make corrections as I needed to. And one of the really interesting things that I found out about myself as I did that was three words kept coming up. What about me? What about me? Um, I said, what about me when I was five years old and my parents um, separated and moved away to uh, separate cities? What about me? And the answer was, you know, that we know this is not the ideal solution, but you got to go somewhere. And so we're going to separate you from your two playmates, your elder brother and sister. And we're going to take you and your younger sister, a baby, and let you live with your grandparents. So we get there, and my grandparents are retired seniors who haven't seen children and infants for decades. They're utterly overwhelmed. I mean, all of a sudden to be presented with diapers, and this is the old days when you wash diapers by hand and diaper pins and you mixed formula in those days at home and sterilized the bottles. So they were utterly overwhelmed. And so what they did was the most pressing thing. They took care of the baby. And my question was, what about me? And the answer was, go outside and play. We got to take care of this. We'll get to you soon. The person who later in life molested me didn't care if I said, what about me or not? that person was only interested in what they wanted and what they felt they needed. But most of the people in my life who um, I look back and have resentments or issues with, most of those people were stressed people trying to do the best that they could with what they had. And they didn't have very much. We were poor. Most of the people in my family are minimally educated um, and there was mental illness. So all that doesn't add up to um, wonderful child rearing um, practice. Um, But I didn't get that at the time. You know, little kids don't get things like that. I was five years old, I thought, what is going on here? What is wrong with me? Um, what have I done that nobody pays attention to me? Is it, am I missing something? Um, am I somehow different from all the other little kids at school? They have mommies and daddies and they, they get new shoes when their, feet, when their shoes are too small. What is my problem? What is wrong with me? Why am I not as much or as good as the other people? Um, I found that a really painful way to live. And my solution was food. Um, And so I ate, I started eating at a very young age. I I remember wanting to binge in first grade. 
Um, and even when my life got better, even when I worked my way through school and had a good job, that source of comfort was still there for me. I was still eating. I ate until I weighed 340 pounds. I ate as my life got smaller and smaller and smaller. I traveled less because I needed two seats on an airplane. I stopped going to the theater because I didn't fit in a theater uh, seat. Um, I took buses when I could when for um, distances that before I, I would have walked. Um, just everything kept getting smaller and smaller. And I kept seeing more and more humiliations, uh, not being able to fit in chair, the little kid who points and laughs. Um, you know, that whole sense of being humiliated and ridiculed was really present in my life. And I finally reached a place of despair. Um, and when I got there and went to inpatient treatment for my eating disorder, um, I, was, I went to an OA meeting the uh, second night in treatment. Um, and OA worked for me that night and OA has worked for me since. Um, part of why OA works for me is because in those early meetings that I went to, they, I heard them say that the newcomer was the most person in the room, but I felt them act as though I was the most important person in, in the room. Um, and for a person who has spent their childhood being less than, feeling that they don't matter, feeling that their um, experiences, their needs just don't make a difference, that wasn't, to actually be convinced of that was a huge comfort. Um, I didn't buy into the program right away. I went to the meetings, it felt good, and, and I kept going to the meetings, but I didn't go in all in. It took me a year to finally get myself a sponsor. And that's when I truly saw that that part of me, that the part of me that felt so much less than could get so much from the program, that this person who I just walked up to at the end of the meeting would put aside time for me, um, spend time, devote her hours to re reviewing my food every morning, uh, working the steps with me, helping me do 10 steps. Um, that stranger would do that, gave me a sense of self-worth, of self-esteem. Okay, maybe I do matter. Maybe um, I can keep going with this. So here I am, I'm feeling good. I've got this woman who's taking care of me and welcoming me into the program and teaching me about the program. And then she says, now we gotta work the step. And as I worked the steps, I learned a different way of asking what about me. As I went through each um, resentment and each fear, um, I, I asked myself, what about me? What was my part? What did I contribute to this, this situation? What character defect do I need God to ask God to remove from me? Um, and what changes do I need to try and make in my life? Um, 
And as I did that, and as I worked through the steps and I got more and more comfortable with the, with the program, I asked to learn that question in another way. I got to learn to tolerate that it's not always about me. Um, there's, that there's sometimes when I don't need to ask what about me, but sometimes I need to ask what about you? What about what's going on with you? Um, and it took a certain amount of healing for me to get to that, get from a point where I was so caught up in my own pain that I couldn't see what was going on with other people. And that's one of the things that the steps did for me. Um, when, when I went to meetings and they asked for people to do service, I learned to ask, what about me? Is this a service that I can provide? And what is holding me back? Why am I not uh, participating? Why am I frightened? Um, my first anniversary came. Um, and in the meeting, in my home group, you speak on your anniversary. And so I did my first qualify, qualification after my first anniversary. And at the end of the meeting, two people came up to me and said, will you be my sponsor? And I went, my, my, my sponsor had been telling me that I was ready to sponsor. I was scared. Um, and so I looked at these two women asking me to help them and asked the question again, what about me? Um, do I have what it takes to do this? Uh, can I do the things that my sponsor did to me? Uh, can I devote my time in, to this person? When they call me, can I give them my complete attention? Um, can I answer their questions about the program? Can I be a loving witness to their recovery? I wasn't so sure about all those things, but my sponsor told me she was gonna help me. And so I tried. And I gotta tell you, um, I, I celebrated my ninth um, abstinence anniversary in February. Um, and those two sponsees are still with me. I've had other people come in and out, but I'm still working with those same two people. Um, so what does all this have to do with the sixth tradition? Suppose that home group that made me feel like I belonged, that I mattered, that they were gonna help me to recover, that they saw my pain and understood my pain. What if that group ran a recovery center? We could have done it. We had, thank you. We had um, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, business people, um, doctors and nurses in our home group. We could very well have started treatment program. Uh, would my experiences, my early experiences in, in OA have been in the same if that group had been running a treatment center? Um, imagine staff, um, business meetings. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have never learned to appreciate business meetings. I've gone to business meetings where, you know, instead of the business meeting being five minutes at the end, in the middle of a meeting, it would be a separate um, session altogether. And we spent 20 minutes fighting about five words in the, the script for the meeting. Imagine if we're running a center um, and we have to decide, 
should we take out a, uh, a second mortgage? Um, how many hours would that have taken? Um, what Roseanne, our founder, when she lost her abstinence and started gaining weight, they encouraged her to step down. If I was, if I were working in a in a, a recovery center that belonged to my home group and I lost my abstinence, would they fire me? And can you imagine the discussion that would happen at the meeting as they as they went through what to do about me as I kept putting packing on the pounds? Um, what about when it comes time for raises? I deserve a bigger raise than you because I've been abstinent for nine years and you've only been abstinent for eight. Um, what about my sponsor who works in this program and needs help with something? When she, when she asked me to do it, she asking me as my sponsor or my employee, is this for my recovery or is this for something else? Um, it does raises so many issues. And bottom line, I come to this to the rooms for a safe space. It's where I can be vulnerable, um, a space where I can look to other people for their experience, strength, and hope and share mine with them. And if the my home group has other business, it gets in the in the way of that. Um, it, makes that space less safe. And now I know some of you are saying, oh yeah, but if you if you actually ran a, biz a business, it would be a separate meeting. But whether you did that or not, it want, it's the same people. And so it rolls over into the home group. And the same thing is true of, of um, endorsing things. There are lots of different programs that maybe it would be nice to endorse, but when we come up with you're going to endorse yours, not mine. It's not fair. Um, who should make the decision? Suppose my first meeting, I came, and that all that was going on. I don't know that I would have come back. And suppose I made it through that, and I'm an active member, and I come one day, and I'm hanging on to my abstinence by my fingernails. And what I came in the room for that day was inspiration and support. And this is what I stick to, I, I step into. I don't see how those needs would be met. I see myself in that situation asking the question, what about me? Um, the 12 steps to the 12 traditions I'm sure most, I'm sure this is not a newcomer meeting, so you know that we adopted them from OA, from AA. Um, and so uh, there's a flavor of, of AA in all of what we do. The big book um, suggests that the 12 steps would be effective in a lot of things other than alcoholism. They predict there'll be, that there'll be a lot of 12-step uh, programs. And yeah, that has happened. You know, Last time I looked, there was 240 different 12-step programs. Um, so that notion of 12 steps being applicable to other things is, is, has been with us from the very beginning. 
But if you read the AA 12 and 12, they talk about the origins of the Sikh tradition. And that's, that chapter starts out with this. The moment we saw we had an answer to alcoholism, it was reasonable, or so it seemed at the time, for us to feel that we might have the answer to a lot of other things. Well, they thought they, they're building up this reputation as problem solvers. They've shown that they have a, a treatment for alcoholism. They have a lot of political weight. People respect them. And so they thought they should put their, their weight behind anything that they thought was a deserving project. And then they thought about all the ways that they could change the world. And it says in the 12 and 12, they thought they could open hospitals. Because you know, regular hospitals don't really know how to treat alcoholics. They can open their own health hospitals and treat the alcoholics the way they needed to be treated. Um, they said, and so the people providing that care were properly trained, they would work on changing the curriculums of schools and they would uh, write chapters in medical textbooks. They would go down to, to Skid Row and keep a scoop up the people and put them in treatments or find places for them to spend their lives. Um, they thought that things would work better if there were laws that defined alcoholism as an illness. And so they thought they ought to go and get politically involved and get those, those laws uh, passed. Um, they thought that alcoholics who came to court should not go to jail. They should be remanded to treatment. And they thought they were the ones that should get them. Um, and they thought once they got all that together, they would expand and they would get involved in drug addiction, criminality, and in mental illness. You know what happens? They got bogged down, it says in the 12 and 12. A quote is, too many busybody cooks spoil the broth. That's what they said happened. When they, get, when they tried to make uh, societal changes, they got bogged down in politics, they got nothing happened, got nothing done. And so finally they decided, we cannot be all things to all people. We have to stick to the thing that we can do. And they wrote the sixth tradition. Me, the heart of the program is recovery. And we have to stick, I believe we need to stick that heart. Uh, when I came to this program, I was sick and suffering. And I literally mean suffering. I was in despair. I had trouble catching my breath. I had diabetes that was getting worse and worse uh, with complications to my eyes and to my kidneys, making me worry about blind, making my doctor worry about blindness and kidney failure. But I was miserable inside. Um, the big book told, tells me and my sponsor reminded me that half measures would avail me nothing that I had to be willing to go to any lengths and I had to abandon myself to the program. Well, I did that. I try still to keep doing that. And I need a program that does that for me, not a program that's diluted by putting its energies into other um, enterprises. So 
I'm grateful today that when I went to those first meetings, when I was still saying, what about me? What about me? There were people in the room that gave me loving answers to those questions. Um, how did it work out? As I said, I'm coming up, I celebrated my ninth abstinence anniversary in February. Um, I have lost 150 pounds uh, and maintained that weight loss. I get so excited when my clothes get raggedy because never before in my life that I had to throw clothes out because I wore them out. And I finally am at a place where I'm able to do that. Um, I have two sponsors um, and four sponsees. Um, and when the promises are coming true for me, you know, I have a bigger life, I have a happier life. Um, I do things that I never dreamed that I would be able to do. Um, how am I doing for time? At two minutes in six seconds. Okay. Um, but more important, I feel good in myself. I don't need to ask what about me most of the time. Now, you know, as a nurse, I learned that a wound that heals, that, that tissue is never as strong as unwounded tissue. And so the wrong thing, the wrong words, the wrong happening can push me back and make me ask that question again. What about me? What about me? And when I ask that question, I have a loving, two loving sponsors. I have people in the rooms to reach out to. Um, I have people who have that same experience and can tell me how they live through it. Um, and so I can go, I can do what I need to do to go back into healing mode. Um, and I can go back to living my life. And the way I live my life today is feeling, feeling miserable when things go wrong, feeling frightened when, it, when situations are scary, feeling angry when things go wrong for no reason, um, living with all those emotions, eating about them, feeling content with who I am inside and, and how I live my life, being able to celebrate holidays um, and big occasions with my heart and not my mouth. Um, and so, Yes, I once in a while still ask that question, what about me? I am incredibly grateful. Every time I ask that question, I'm pleased and comforted with the end. Thank you for letting me share.